Hello, Kratom Quitters. Welcome to episode 49 of the Kratom Sobriety Podcast. This is Jacob. I am here with Decima. Good afternoon, Decima. Hey, Jacob. How's it going? It's been a busy week, but happy to be here chatting with you. The interview for this week? Yeah, I talked to Andrew. He had a unique experience that I'm excited for everybody to hear about. It's something that we haven't heard a lot about. Um, He used a substance called iboga. But we'll learn more about that. That's cool. Yeah, I don't have any experience or haven't heard much about that myself. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. That brings us to today's intro topic. You can't use drugs to quit drugs. So we're going to just riff on that generally today. I'm going to start. It really depends on what your goals are. If you are truly like, I must be sober at all costs and never put another substance in my body, then yeah, you probably can't use drugs to quit drugs because you're not meeting your mission. If your goal is to not constantly relapse on your drug of choice or consistently quit your drug of choice and find a new drug of choice and spend decades bouncing around from drug to drug and substance to substance and failing over and over again, you may want to use drugs to quit drugs because it might be a better option for you. And quite honestly, you might not really give a shit if you're on drugs or not because you're happy and content. So that's how I, I see it. I think if someone wants to use drugs to use to quit whatever drug they're on and that works for them, I don't really think it's my place to judge them. I don't think I'd use meth to quit Kratom. I think that probably would be a bad idea. But if if you want to use medical marijuana because that works for you or microdose mushrooms or take medicated assisted treatment and use Suboxone or Vivitrol or something else, I don't really see a problem with that. I also don't really see a problem if you decide that you want to do that for the rest of your life. I know a person in my smart recovery group who's in her late 60s now and was a heroin addict for decades. And 15 years ago, she got on Suboxone and she's tapered off it twice and she's relapsed every time. So for her, she's decided she's going to take Suboxone probably till she dies and she takes it with her morning medicine and goes about her day. So what's the difference between that and her blood pressure medication? I don't really see a difference. But there are people out there that really get bent out of shape about it for some reason. It's always been odd to me. Yeah, it's definitely a controversial subject out there in the in the recovery community in general. There, I've even heard of meetings that won't allow people that are on certain. You say drugs, and then the first thing that comes to my mind is I wonder, okay, are we talking about drugs? Are we talking about medications? What's the difference? Where do we draw the line? I have so much to say about this because for me, it's all about... I'm a big fan of doing whatever it takes to get sober, to recover, to heal, even if those means are drastic. And like you said, if we've tried everything, also, I'm a big fan of mind your own recovery. What works for me? What works for you? What works for Tom, Dick and Harry on the street? Everybody is so different. For me, it definitely medications and drugs assisted treatments were part of my journey. I will say that it was steps for me. I found myself addicted to opiates and to get off of the opiates, I went to methadone. I had my own issues with methadone, but it just wasn't for me. The next step, Suboxone. Guess what? The next step after Suboxone was 
prayed them. Okay. <laughs> so for me, it was like these constant steps of trying to heal this opiate and opioid addiction. And that's what it took for me to get to where I am. In the end, on another medication or drug, naltroxone, Vivitrol. Do we draw the line there and say that's not recovery? But yeah, it's definitely a very sensitive subject. There's a lot to be said about harm reduction and the desperation that we feel when we're willing to try anything to be free of our addiction. It's not mm-hmm. for everybody. I get that. I personally wouldn't, personally would not want to be on medicated assisted treatment for myself long term. However, I do know that there are cases where that's appropriate. You know what I'm saying? Who am I to say what? Yeah, so definitely feel like there's a need for us to stop judging each other out there for sure on this. Yeah, I agree with that. There's definitely a need for the judgment to end. I also think if you're thinking about doing medicated assisted treatment or doing something else, like maybe our guest did with a boga or something else, I would probably say watch how much you actually consume on the internet when you're reading up to that decision. Because with some things, all you're going to see is the negatives. If you Google Suboxone, you're never going to see the positives because there are lots and lots of people out there that have taken that drug and tapered off of it and have never spent an ounce of time online because they did not have a bad experience. It's just like restaurant reviews. You're going to get the bad experiences 100 times more than you get the good. I'm not saying that means that you should go it's a panacea treatment and everybody should be on it and it's the best thing. It's not. There's drawbacks to everything. I feel, it, for me, it's very substance specific. I see a lot of people using ketamine now for not really recovery, but for untreated depression. And I know for me, I could never do that. I don't have untreated depression, but if I did, I know that wouldn't be an option just because having used ketamine recreationally, I could totally see myself abusing the shit out of it. Like just being honest, that's what would happen. Probably the same thing probably with Kratom. Like I could never use Kratom as a maintenance medication again. Like it would never work. I just wouldn't be able to. I never had a problem with medical marijuana. I still have a medical marijuana card. I haven't used it in almost a year. I'm on a low dose of Suboxone now and plan on starting to taper off at the summertime. But if I decided that I wasn't ready, I'd probably stay on it. Because for me, I don't have any of the side effects that people post about and complain about online. I don't have, it doesn't do anything to me except make it easy for me not to use drugs. That's it. Works. I know it doesn't work for other people, but when it's, I also don't feel the need to talk about it with anybody because I don't talk about any other medication I take for other diseases I have. So it's my business and that's how I look at it at this point. Yep. It's absolutely your business. I feel that because a lot of people would probably judge me because I'm what they call at this time, California sober. So yeah, some people would say I'm not clean, but I know my life and I know the difference, what my problem was. It's not up to somebody else to take that inventory for me. And I will say we do hear, like you said, the negatives a lot, but I've also heard a lot of people say that Suboxone methadone, some of these things have saved their lives, have given them their life back. And I'm not going to say that they're not telling the truth. If you tell me that something has saved your life, I'm going to believe you. So I believe those people. It's all about taking our own inventory for sure. If it saves your life and it improves your life and you are healing, that's what matters to me. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's important if you really want to be accountable, I think make sure that you don't just discuss it with people like us that don't have any medical training or training in therapy or anything like that. Like we're just giving you our experience. It's not that we can't give you good advice and advice that might work for you. It's just that I would recommend you talk to a professional because they'll be able to help. And I don't think there's a big pharma conspiracy on everything and the medical establishment is against everybody. There's obviously some problems with all of that. But I think in, in general, most people that are doctors and therapists are truly get into it to help people. Yeah. And definitely don't let anybody tell you if you're clean and sober or not. That's not for anybody to determine for you. So please don't take that to heart if you have people putting that in your ear, because that's just not true. Yeah, I agree. All right. We could probably riff on this forever, but probably want to get on (laughs) the interview you had and hear all about another unconventional way to quit Kratom. Let's do it. All right. Hey, you guys, I am here tonight with Andrew. We're going to have an interview with Andrew, and he's going to talk about something unique that I'm super excited to learn about myself. I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, so I'm not going to try to. So whenever we get to that, we'll get to that. All right. Thank you, Decima. Is that how you say your name? It, it's Decima. Decima. I figured it was. My name's Andrew, and I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. And this is a new thing for me because I, I did not have a, a lot of Kratom support group activity for for most of the time I've been trying to stay off of Kratom. So with that being said, I'm only five days off of it right now, but I am coming off of 10 months off not that long ago. So I had 10 months sober, completely sober. And then about two months ago, I developed sciatica pain and I was not prepared for that. And the cravings came back pretty strong. And before I knew it, I was back in the old loop of quitting every night and relapsing every morning. So that went on for a month. And I'm happy to say that I do feel like I broke free. I crossed over just those first couple days were the hardest for me because I wasn't really having many physical withdrawals because I'd only been using it about a month. But the psychological pull was super intense and I quit probably 20 times, you know, in a month. And I was really sure I was going to be done and then I would do it again the next day. So... So it sounds to me like maybe pain is a possible trigger for you, which we can come back around to that. I want to back up a little bit. Let's (laughs) talk about how did you, how did Kratom come into your life? How did you learn about Kratom and how long ago was that? It's been a long saga and I've quit like multiple times and I've had periods of sobriety, but the whole thing has been going on for like almost eight years, I think. It started about eight years ago. I had no prior opioid, opiate experience at all. And I discovered Kratom through a friend that I'd known for a long time. And 
when he first told me about it, he said, yeah, it's like an opioid. And as soon as he said that, I was like not interested anymore. And then it went out of my mind. And But he kept talking about it, mentioning it here and there. And then I went to Hawaii for about five months. And when I was living on Hawaii, I was doing this kind of intense landscaping job. And I was starting to get some back pain and just general fatigue, obviously. And I didn't really like caffeine. So I wanted something that could help me work and keep me in a good mood. So I said, well, I want to try creative because I had seen it on Hawaii a few times in some of the smoke shops. And so that's how it started. And uh, I didn't even really feel it the first couple of times. I threw up the first time and then maybe the third or fourth time it hit. And I was, I remember I was reading a book and uh, I remember just thinking, oh, okay, this is why people do this. And then I fell in love because I had no prior opiate experience and I got really affected by that the first time. Yeah. That actually answers part of my next question for you, which was whether or not you have a history of any kind of other substance abuse. And it sounds like what led you into Kratom and why you started using it had a lot to do with pain management. Would that be fair to say? Yes, it would be fair to say, but I definitely was not in any kind of serious pain. Like looking back, the pain that I've dealt with in the last couple of months, that's like real pain. And that that was not the reason I started using Kratom at all. I was using it because I wanted to get high that I, and I was already an addict and I didn't really know what it was. And I was just being very reckless just assuming that it would be okay, that nothing bad would happen from it and not listening to several warnings, which had come floated across. And even the guy I was working with, I think after a few days of us both taking it, he was like, I don't really think I'm going to keep taking this. It's starting to make me feel like I can't be happy without it. And then I was like, oh, red flag, but... Which was, yes, that's exactly my next question for you. What were some of those signs and how long did it take uh, for you to start noticing those signs? So it definitely snuck up on me because I had never dealt with any kind of withdrawal, really, except for marijuana. Um, But I do want to say I did have a, a lot of issues with alcohol starting from a young age. So like seventh, eighth grade, I started drinking in Wisconsin. It was like really common to just start drinking young and we didn't have any other drugs or even weed really back then. So this is like the early, this like the nineties and all we had was alcohol and that's what we did. So I went through a lot of stuff with that before the age of even 22, I'd been to rehab twice. And so when I was in Maui, I was actively trying not to drink and use caffeine or smoke weed really. And so Kratom became a magic bullet for me because it kept me away from alcohol and everything else. And I didn't really see many side effects until about two months in. I remember pretty clearly I woke up and I did not want to get out of bed. I felt sick and just, I remember realizing that it was withdrawal (laughs) and just having an, oh no, (laughs) epiphany about it. It's a real oh shit moment yeah. when you realize that you're physically dependent on yeah. a substance for sure. And then I took and then I took my morning dose, which was not even that much back then, and I immediately felt better. Like right. way better. Mm-hmm. 
that's how I knew I was addicted as well because I was really sick one day and then whenever I dosed and I felt better immediately about 20, 30 minutes later, then I was like, oh, so yeah, I can totally relate to that sobering moment. Just like, shit. Yeah. So that was a big red flag. My friend saying that was a big red flag. And then just some stuff I'd read on the Kratom Reddit group of like people coming in to troll the group and say, don't you guys know that this is an opioid? And then everyone would like jump on them. And there was all sorts of red flags, but I couldn't see it. And then my first stint with Kratom lasted about two years, I would say. But that was like everyday use. And I had tried to quit a couple of times and then I just gave up trying to quit. So then it got to the point where two years later, I was drinking and taking Kratom, working at a restaurant, barely eating. My health is getting really bad. And we are going to be moving. This is my partner and I at the time. And we wanted to move to Arizona and I really wanted to quit before we moved. So we went up to her parents' house in northern Minnesota and I quit with an emergency room visit because I tried to quit cold turkey. This is the first time ever quitting, really. And I remember the first 24 hours was okay. And I was like, oh, all right. And I don't even, I didn't even have any marijuana or anything at the time for withdrawals or anything. The next day, the next night, I was just lying in bed and I was getting these like body zaps, like jolts, like restless legs, but it was like my whole body. And it was like very disturbing. <laughs> and I like, went on all night to the point where I, threw the white flag up the next morning and went to the emergency room in this like small town in Minnesota. They had never heard of Kratom, but the doctor was like really fascinated by it. And I straight up told him that I wanted Valium because I was going into opiate withdrawals from Kratom. And he actually gave me like 20 Valium. And that got me off. That got me through the first week or two of withdrawals. And then I stayed sober for a couple of years. Like I never really went full back into addiction. But what I noticed was that I was not okay. Like after I quit, it's not like I went back to normal, like with other drugs. Like I was not okay. I was a different person. I was, I had all these stomach issues and like insomnia. And so when we moved to Arizona, there was a smoke shop there and occasionally I would get it from them, um, but I never really fully got back into it. And then I just completely quit for a while, like a couple of years, I would say, but I was still using other stuff and I went through another rehab trip with alcohol. So I never really got better. I just stopped taking Kratom. And then three years ago, I got Lyme disease and that was when I relapsed, like my big relapse. And I had Lyme disease for three years. I was bedridden for the first year, practically. And I went straight back to Kratom. It, it helped. Like, it made me feel, like, somewhat alive during that period. And then I, the Lyme disease journey was, like, a really long battle. But I found some stuff that worked for me. And that that cured it. Uh, but now I had a really bad Kratom extract ad addiction at that point. I was spending a lot of money on Kratom extracts over the last three years no and i could not quit so i, I just gave up and when we, we ended up moving again we were moving a lot actually we were nomadic for a while so yeah i could not quit i came down to florida because i had arthritis from the lyme disease and i wanted to be in a warmer climate so we moved to florida from minnesota two years ago 
I quit when we first got down here. I went through a week or two of withdrawals. I got through that and I was like all gung ho about it. And then I relapsed because a gas station had a extract and I just impulsively did it. Then I started to get really resentful at this time because the county in Florida I lived in, it was supposed to be banned. So I thought I was going to be safe and not deal with constant accessibility, which has been my major problem of stringing together the initial sobriety. Same with alcohol. It was like the same problem with alcohol. I could just get it anytime, anywhere, and I couldn't be trusted. So it was really scary. And I had to go through periods of locking my credit cards away and putting a thing on my phone. But it, none of that really worked because I always found ways around it. I'm really sorry to hear that you went through that. That sounds that sounds awful. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing better. What I find interesting and unique about your story is that you used a maybe a not so popular and maybe slightly controversial way of getting sober one time. Um, I don't want to pronounce it wrong or say it wrong. Would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that? Okay, yeah. So I thought you were going to mention the, the first way I did it was going to the ER because that's also kind of controversial and unconventional. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. It's just I didn't know what else to do. And it got me through the first week. And I had no history with benzo addictions. It worked. But I didn't really, it didn't stick. So anyway, fast forward to this most recent time where I actually quit for 10 months, which is the longest streak I've had, like straight. I would say since I started taking creative because I would have like three months and I'd do it randomly. I never got addicted again until this most recent time. But so I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Okay. That's one thing I do. I have noticed like, going back on Kratom and cannabis, like my brain is definitely healing from all the use still because my short-term memory is still... <laughs> Not great, but I did remember my train of thoughts. It's very common, but we can go ahead and continue from, okay. yeah, we can start fresh here. So this is the big conclusion of, to my Kratom story, which is I, 10 months ago, I was trying to quit. I was spending a lot of money on extracts. I was holding down a high paying, like fine dining waiter job and no one knew. So I was doing the whole functional addict thing. I was drinking after work and I started to get worse and worse. I started having some back pain at work and eating like barely anything. So I lost a ton of weight and I ended up crashing my bike home, riding home from work, my electric bike going about 25 miles per hour. And I totaled my bike, my hands got all scraped up and that caused my partner to basically stage an intervention where she called my parents that night when I was still drunk. I actually ended up biking to a, a gas station after that to get Kratom. That's how dependent I was on it. So the next day I had to face the music. I had to call in sick to work because my hands were scraped up. I had to talk to my parents, tell them I had been using Kratom again for the past two years. That was not fun to tell them I'd been lying for a year straight. So fortunately, a lot of stuff had already happened up to this point because I'd already been told about what she, what you had just asked me about, which is this African plant medicine called iboga, I-B-O-G-A. And it's considered a, a psychedelic, but it's not really 
how, like any of the other psychedelics. That is something I have a lot of experience with. I can't really compare it to anything, but pharmacologically, it binds to the same receptors as heroin. And what that means is that it can actually cure opiate addiction, which not you can't say that about anything else. Like my dad is actually a, a doctor um, working in an opioid clinic, and he's he's really interested about this. I've been talking about this, and he acknowledges that there's a lot of ways to treat opiate addiction, but not, none of them do what iboga does, which is reset your brain. I have two questions. The first one is I've heard of another, not sure if it's a medication or substance, and I'm going to spell it and you tell me if it's similar or way sure. different. I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Is it the so same thing? It is. Yes <laughs> and no. There's a lot to unpack here. Sorry. and it's But it's important to get the details right because like iboga is the tree that ibogaine is found within. Now, this is important too because there are other alkaloids and compounds in iboga that also help you and also work with the ibogaine. But most people just most people just think of ibogaine as the only really worthwhile part in the plant. So they will extract ibogaine and you can do a detox for opiates with just ibogaine. But from my experience talking to people that provide iboga, it works better if you have some of the actual tree material itself. Also, you can combine them. Like when I did it the first time, the provider gave me an extract. It wasn't, it was ibogaine and the other alkaloids. It's called a total alkaloid extract. She gave me that plus like a little scoop of just raw root bark from this tree and say they, they say in the... So hold up. I'm sorry. I just have to have you back up because this is unique. Yeah. I need to know, can you walk us through this? I, you don't have to tell us the whole experience, but yeah. so did you have to go somewhere like unique yeah. and special <laughs> and away from here? And did you go to this little, like I'm picturing this little hut somewhere. No. So what's... I'll say as much as I can say. So... Perfect. This, this tree, <laughs> yeah, this tree, it comes from a very specific part of Africa called Gabon. It's a country right next to Congo and below Cameroon on the West Coast. So all the iboga comes from this little area. And it's just a really special tree because it's coming from the Congo jungle, like deep in the Congo jungle. And these trees have to be like pretty old to harvest the medicine. And supposedly the medicine that I got in my first ceremony came from like this 50-year-old tree that the pygmies in that area had helped cultivate. So it, was, it felt really special. And, and when you have the actual tree, I believe there's a spiritual aspect that is not necessarily going to be there with just the, the extraction. So anyway, I'd, I'd heard about iboga maybe a year before I took it. But to me, I was like, that's way too much. I don't need to do that. That's for hardcore heroin addicts. I don't want to deal with all that. I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. I can quit create. I tried my best and I really had to throw in the towel and accept more help. And this is what came into my life. Like I, I believe in law of attraction also. And I was 
consciously calling in the solution. I didn't know what it was going to be. But then eventually I started hearing about Iboga and people started talking about it. And two people recommended me someone. And it was just like a big chain of events that, and then somebody showed up to a dance my partner was at who had just come from an Iboga ceremony. And then we linked up and he put me in touch with the guy out in Oregon. Iboga is illegal in most of the country. You can do it in like Denver and Washington, parts of Washington and Oregon and maybe Oakland, California. But it's it, there's like loopholes that you can go to. So I talked to this guy out in Oregon and he was a former Kratom addict. He had gone to Africa and now he was an Iboga provider, not a shaman because there's only one shaman in this in their particular tradition. He lives in Africa. So I'm talking to him. He used to be a creative addict. It, got, it helped him get off opiates. And he was a touring musician. And the Kratom kept him going. And he thought it was like his magic bullet. But he got to the point where he needed to get sober from that. And he got sober with Iboga. But since he knew about Kratom, he told me that you can't take Kratom with Iboga. So he's like, you need to be 30 days sober until you can come see me. And I was like... That was not good news for me because I couldn't get three days together. So I told him that and he's like, you could go to Canada. <laughs> and he, he put me in touch with someone in Canada and that's what I ended up having to do. I went to Canada for two weeks and stayed with someone in her house. And she had been trained by someone in Africa and she had everything that we needed to do. She had an apprentice. And the first week, I was detoxed off of Kratom using a short-acting opiate. So I never actually went into withdrawals this time. I got off the plane in Canada in withdrawal. The last five hours of my flight, I was withdrawing. But she, she gave me something right away when I got to her place. And so I was able to sleep. And then she had me on this schedule where I, I didn't really feel it. I just didn't go into withdrawal. So it was good. I didn't get high or anything. Um, but it kept me like manageable for her. You don't want a withdrawing addict in your house that you've never met before. Um, so that worked out great. Like I was nursed back to health in that first week. I'd lost so much weight. I was, I'm six feet and I was 125 pounds. And she didn't, tell me this right away but like after a few days she was like when i checked your vitals and did your intake and everything like i i knew that if you would have kept going out there and using you were not going to live like another six months or a year because my vitals were like really sketchy and she could see that because she had actual hospital experience so i gained 10 pounds in the first week probably and then we did three iboga ceremonies the second week, two days apart from each other. The first one was like a detox. So she gave me this extract and the bark. And it lasted all night <laughs> and most of the next day. So it's about a 24-hour experience. And then the next 24 hours, I was just put in my room to, to integrate everything. And like I slept a little bit and broke my fast with some fruit. But yeah, like the day I took Iboga, I had two meals and two doses of my opiate. 
And then I stopped eating and taking everything at 2 p.m. By 9 p.m., I was ready to go. And I I didn't go into withdrawals at all. The next morning, eight hours later, she woke me up. I had gone into sort of a trance. And she's like, congratulations, you're detoxed from opiates. Like, your vitals are, are healthy. She showed me my vitals. She's like, you're healthy. So I was pretty mind-blowing. And the, like, getting off Kratom and opiates was great. And I'm so grateful for that. But it also cured my Lyme disease. I'm, like, speechless of how powerful this is and how grateful I am because it took away all the physical things I was dealing with. Like, the stomach issues that I think Kratom caused and just, like, constant stress and not eating and everything I was doing to myself. My liver was super inflamed, like I could feel it. And when I was in the iboga, it felt like I was on an on the operating table, like undergoing surgery for like hours. And it felt like I was getting new organs and my liver was like very noticeably like smaller when I woke up. And so was it painful yeah. at all or was it painful? Uh, not really compared to the pain we go through as addicts and the buildup was super painful. Like I barely made it to Canada. Like I had to put like new tires on my car the week leading up to that. And like, there was just so much chaos leading up to that. And nothing was more painful than that. Being, on, being in withdrawals and like, having to pack up your whole house because we moved. That was like super hard. Um, so when I actually got into the actual ceremony, I was just so glad that it was finally happening and that I'd made it the first week. Um, it was uncomfortable. I'll say that. I don't, I, I wouldn't say it was painful. It was like uncomfortable at times, but a big part of it is your own mindset. Every, everybody says that about psychedelics, like you're set, and setting your mindset and setting. So the setting was great. It was exactly what I needed. And then my mindset, because I had that first week, I was pretty prepared and I had experience with other psychedelics. So I didn't get scared and I felt pretty safe because I had to actually take an EKG too. So there's something about Iboga that changes the rhythms of our heart. And for some people that can and in death which sounds really extreme but it's super rare and if you get an ekg and somebody knows how to read it they can screen you for it where you're safe and then the only other thing you have to worry about is certain substances cannot be in your system like kratom because kratom actually affects our heart rhythms as well like i was trying to figure out why kratom specifically couldn't be mixed with iboga but there's so little information about this online there's more information now than there was six months ago. So I couldn't find why. I just knew I needed to not take it. Yeah. One of the first withdrawal symptoms that I would have when I would quit every single time was rapid, just like heartbeat and yeah. hard to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely yeah. can see that. Yeah. And she, she talked to me about this after everything was said and done but she was like you damaged your heart like when i was in the iboga ceremony my heart was uncomfortable like it felt like it was just being like worked on for the whole time like it didn't end and it fortunately i fell asleep and then when i woke up 
it was better. And then it went away like a couple of days later, but it was like still working in me for a couple of days. But she was like, you damaged your heart. Like this, these Kratom extracts you were taking, like the combination of you not eating and taking Kratom and caffeine and alcohol. I was taking nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, Kratom and cannabis every day for a long time and like barely eating. So I'm not surprised like that she said that. But I do feel like Iboga reversed a lot, a lot of what I had done. That's one of the unique things about it. It sounds like a very deep experience, which I'm sure it is. I'm not a complete psychedelic noob or whatever. I do have a little bit of experience with like functional and heroic mushrooms as well. So I get that it's deeper than just skipping the withdrawals. But I do want to point out that a lot of people are always looking for that way to get through it without the withdrawals. So there you go. It's extreme. (laughs) But I've never met anybody that actually went through it. So I'm just, I'm so fascinated and appreciate you sharing your experience with this with us. Yeah. And just one last question I want to ask about that and then we'll move on because I do want to get back to a little bit more about the Kratom. But that particular experience, what about that would you say was the thing that you got from that that you wouldn't, that you had not gotten from any other way of trying to quit? Sure. I think the main reason is that I did not have it in me at that point to do it again without iboga and she confirmed that she's like you would have not you wouldn't have survived if you wouldn't have come here and i do that i almost died on my bike like right before i went so something was going to happen and i had quit before and i just i it's hard to explain i just couldn't do it i didn't have it in me and the i was still dealing with lyme disease symptoms and so it's a lot weaker than I was eight years ago. Like when I quit the first time, I was 22, 25, 24, something like that. It's a big difference. And the other main thing is that beyond the physical help it gave me, like the main thing, which probably like a whole other interview, is that it helped me understand the root causes of the addiction. And then it put me on the right track of, okay, this is like what you actually need to heal if you want to actually stay sober and get better. It doesn't heal it for you. It heals your body and it heals, detoxes you from all the negative energy and all these emotions. And then it gives you another chance and it shows you what you did to yourself. Like you have to take accountability too, because we did this to ourselves regardless of why. So I'm just, it actually showed me some childhood events like getting bullied that had really traumatized me and affected me way more than I realized. So I was shown these early memories and it was just like a really helpful closure on the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Facing those traumas. That's a big (laughs) deal. That's yeah. Yeah. It's funny how they're all still there. Even after we've been hiding from them forever, however long. But they're still there, but it's yeah. good. But scary, but it's good to deal with those traumas and face that root issue of why we use. Yeah. 
It is a route. I, yeah, and it, it, I can definitely relate to having to do something extreme. I actually almost died from my crate I'm used to and had to go the extreme route and also can relate to ha- not being able to use until I got to my doctor to get my Vivitrol shot. Yeah, I so similar situation. I had to get yeah. alcohol. I used that for alcohol. That helped me. Um, so I, I, I loved it. Yeah. I actually yeah. loved it. I still drink on it. So it, it sounds made me drink less. Oh, okay. So I didn't do that. I didn't. I was actually afraid to try it. So yeah, it was good was for smart. me. I loved the shot. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back and talk a little bit about whenever. So I understand that now you're five days kratom free. Which hey, congratulations! I'm so glad. Yeah. That I always say never give up. I, yeah. I you don't want to know how many times I quit. So. Back when you did quit for 10 months, what was life like for you, especially like that first 30 days and then beyond? What was life like Kratom free? Man, that it was unexpected. It Loaded was, question, it, I know. <laughs> it, was, it was like beautiful chaos like that month after because I felt so good afterwards, but my life was so messed up still. Like when I came back from Canada, I was like, I'm a new, I'm reborn. Whose life is this? What the hell? This isn't, I don't want to deal with this. So I actually was homeless when I got back from Canada and my partner and I were staying at our friend's house. And then, yeah, I found us a place and I ended up hurting my back like right away. It's definitely not how I expected things were going to go. It's been a lot harder, but despite dealing with back pain for the last pretty much since I got back here I didn't have any cravings for kratom like zero especially the first few months and I could walk into a gas station I could do I had no zero cravings for alcohol or kratom or cannabis we got into our new place and I was still having back pain and now I'm about 2 months sober from kratom and I have tons of energy. I'm getting tons of stuff done. I'm sleeping like a baby, like every night, going to bed at like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, which is crazy. So that was amazing. And I was working out. But in a lot of ways, I was going too fast and I partially hurt myself working out. And then it developed into a worse back injury. And at that moment, I found some cannabis in the house that I was renting that somebody had forgotten about a long time ago, probably. And I sat on it for a week and I wasn't going to do it. A couple people warned me about it and then I did it and I started smoking weed again every day. So that was fun. Not. <laughs> and that went on until now. I'm quitting weed now. A couple days later. Right there quitting. with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be... Like I'm on day 0.5 with cannabis and I can't believe that I went back to it because I had zero cravings for it and I've had to let go of regret and you really just have to let go of all this emotional stuff that comes up with it because I was going to do it at some point. I wanted to blame people for it and blame every, I even wanted to blame some of the stuff that happened with my bogus situation and when can't coming back and some of the complexities around that and what my aftercare plans were. And anyway, 
just went off on another tangent there. Sorry. Totally okay. Yeah. So well, I'll just go ahead and I'll start yeah. another question. Or do you have okay. more to add? I don't want to cut you off. Oh, yeah. so that, that came from, okay, I'm quitting marijuana. And what I'm saying is I'm grateful it happened overall. I'm grateful that I had all these relapses in the last year. Just in the last, it was like this contained case study that I can look back on and reference and just see what happens. Like, part of me was curious. Am I cured? <laughs> am I never, am I not an addict? Do I not have the potential for addiction anymore? Because part of me felt like that and wanted to experiment a little. And not everybody that does iboga stops using everything. A lot of people do whatever. It's up to the individual. And for me, I just, I know that I need to be completely sober right now from things that I can become addicted to. I don't consider iboga that because it's, it's just not addictive in, in the way that well, kratom is addictive or even cannabis is addictive. And so what happened after that is I started smoking weed again and it, I got, it totally ruined my life. I became a hermit. All the stereotypes of what happens when you're addicted to cannabis. I completely shut down in so many ways and just went back into survival mode and uh, addiction mode and was doing the same thing with weed of like quitting and then doing it again. And it was just a loop. So, and then I, this most recent thing with my back pain, the sciatica, I convinced myself I could do it for that reason, but it doesn't even work that well. Ibuprofen honestly works better than Kratom and weed. Like, I said it. Yeah, it's funny how it messes with our mind like that and makes us think that we're using it to help us, but we know what we're really doing. Yeah, well, one of my biggest tricks I play on myself is, oh, I'm just going to use it tonight to clean my kitchen and to get myself prepared and ready to quit so I'm in a better place. And I think there is some truth to like preparing and being realistic, and some people need to taper. I'm the type of person where I, I need it gone. Like I have no self-control with weed or Kratom. I can't have access to it in that first 24 hours, 48 hours. See, that's exactly why I actually finally decided to stop smoking weed because I've smoked weed for so long yeah, and too. I just, I had just accepted or had this attitude that it's not hurting me. And if I do stop, I don't have any kind of physical withdrawal, but at the same time, it's, I have no self-control. If yeah. I have it, I'm going to wake and bake and yep. smoke all day oh until, yep. yeah, <laughs> it makes me tired. It makes oh, me eat, like worse. all the just like you. It's the worst. Yeah. So I, I'm right there with you on that one for oh, sure. It, it was so crazy to go. <laughs> Iboga stays in your system for like months. So if you take a large enough dose, like it accompanies you back into the world, which is another really nice and unique thing about it. It's like barely perceptible, but it's there. So it was so crazy to go from that like super high state of consciousness and physical well-being to like pothead. <laughs> the total opposite. It's it's making me it's giving me DMT vibes a little bit. Oh, yeah. It is that powerful. I would say there's only a few things I would even put it on the same level like I I don't like to compare things like that anyway, but 
Yeah, like DMT or 5-MeO DMT. And they sometimes they do 5-MeO DMT with iboga um, in combination after the iboga. They, they're doing that for veterans. I want to ask you about when it comes to quitting, no matter what tools you use, what yeah. do you find the most helpful for you? Other people, definitely. I think I tried to do it on my own more this time because I was trying to hide it and it was way harder. <laughs> Any kind of just being honest, like that's the tool. That's the best tool with yourself and with everyone. And the other main tool I would say is like awareness of what's going on, why your emotions happen from your thoughts. That was a big part of the Iboga ceremony was learning why the thoughts that I have happen and how to either completely stop them or change them up. So I do feel like I got a lot of control over that from my boga of how to still my mind. And I found that all my negative emotions were coming from stories that my mind was telling me. For example, the bullying. You take this experience, your mind interprets it as you're not good enough. That was like what I got out of it. So it creates a sense of shame. And that shame, like doesn't go away unless you deal with it and it sits in your body and it's a form of energy and it can make you sick it can hurt you and that was a big wake-up call of you're hurting yourself by allowing all these negative emotions to just be stuck in your body sadness came up i had all this sadness that i just been carrying for years and years like i was able to release a lot of that the day after which was amazing and they have a rule in the Bawidi tradition, which is the Iboga culture's tradition, that they don't grieve for people beyond a certain amount of time. Because at that point, they're just hurting themselves and they're not like the person doesn't want you to be doing that. So it's like kind of cliche almost, but really profound teaching of just it makes total sense to me because you mentioned the law of attraction earlier and that's a big one for me too even if i don't call it that i just yeah i, I feel like whatever you know you allow your brain and your mind to focus on whether it's good or bad that's what you're literally attracting it's just the yeah. energy that yeah. you know you're attracting so totally get that what you are Exactly. And you're going to attract your tribe as well. So yeah, that's, that's just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> which, yeah, which I just wanted, I, I wanted to mention that you mentioned support and that's such a big one because it helps with accountability and it also, it, to have somebody to call instead of using is a big deal and it's a big yeah. step for a lot of us. Yeah. So I'm yeah. really happy to hear that that you're like reaching out for support in the community and stuff as well. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. And also giving yourself grace. So you mentioned that as well like that trauma that we've been through, it's not our fault. We have to we have to allow our 
ourselves time to heal and we have to look at ourselves as the victims that we were, but also empower ourselves because nobody is going to come along with a magic wand and heal it for us. And hiding from it is just not working as we've so seen. Yeah. (laughs) I think you hit the nail on the head. The greatest tool is, oh my gosh, see, look at that. That completely went out of my head again. Okay. There's something you had just said. Okay. I've been doing it all night. That's why I have, look, if that's why you'll see me writing, because I do the same shit. My brain is listening to everything. Uh Yeah. So it's all good. So if you wanted to, we can just start with, I think we went over everything. So I'll just ask the last question or the last two questions. So you've mentioned what works best for you. Do you have any advice for anybody else out there that's thinking about quitting or just starting on their quitting journey? Yes. And that's what I was going to say that just went out of my mind. So I'm just going to keep talking a little bit. Okay. The best thing I can recommend for people, just be honest with yourself. If you need your partner to, to take your credit cards away, that's what needs to happen. Because you can play that game for for months years and you'll have the best of intentions but sometimes it's not enough just being realistic of what your threat level is i know all there's stores all over the place that i can go into anytime and so that was really hard for me it's the first week for sure um it's we have to parent ourselves and i often say whatever it takes oh. to take ourselves away from that <laughs> yeah and what you, you just saying that reminded me what i was going to say literally whatever it takes that's what you have to do even if it means taking some plant you've never heard of with strangers <laughs> that's what i had to do and i had to do a lot to get there i had to call my parents and basically beg them to help make that happen, which they did. And now they're all for Iboga and it's great. So I would say the other great gift Iboga gives you the perspective on your entire experience. It shifts your attitude into a positive attitude. You, instead of feeling like a victim, suddenly your whole story is different. And the end of the story is now you, you had a rebirth and now you have your whole life ahead of you the best thing you can do is to find the silver lining in whatever unique experience and journey you're on, because that's part of your journey is to have gone through all that stuff. And I actually got into such an ecstatic state about this, the last ceremony, because I actually was like grateful almost. I don't want to say that it was, but I was almost grateful for everything I had been through because it had gotten me to that point. Now that state of, being did not stick with me for 10 months. But I know that it's possible to achieve that state. And I would say the cannabis, probably one of the main culprits for bringing that level of awareness down and keeping it down. <laughs> so the silver line. I can that's definitely like agree cool. with that. Yeah, <laughs> for real. So yeah, um, gratitude and mindfulness yeah. that those two things it, they can change everything. They, they do, really yeah. can. It's just like being gratitude. being in the moment. This is your moment. You're not it's you're not going to have a different one. So right. make the most of it. I get that. Totally yeah. love it. 
It's like the best experience of your life. Everything else had to happen first. In order for that everything to happen exactly, happens for a reason. <laughs> exactly the way that happened only could have happened because of every other thing that you ever went through. <laughs> it's a Absolutely. little it's crazy. It's a lot to wrap your mind around. And that's like why integration is so important because that stuff is hard to accept. It's easy when you're well, in it. I think, sorry. <laughs> well, I was just no, you go it, ahead. It can be easy when you're in this altered state. Everything makes perfect sense. It's all simple and you're totally gung-ho and then life happens and you forget the then all of a sudden it's of having right it becomes an actual skill like an actual you have to literally change right. your mind when you see it going in a negative direction you have to be that hyper aware yeah. it's up to you you, you have awesome. to do it yeah I'm so excited about your story and where this is going to go. Did we not touch on anything that you want to make sure that we talk about tonight before we end the interview, Andrew? I would just reiterate like how important integration is because like I was by myself with these two strangers and they tried to help me their best, but they didn't really know who I was or my situation. Or my partner and I's situation. My partner and I had been together for eight years. And there was like talk of me just leaving and starting this whole new life. And like, yeah, part of me wanted to do that. That's not realistic. Like I had to go back and get my life back together and go at the pace that I could go at. I really recommend just slowing down and being grounded. Because I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. I was going to go to Africa. Like, I was really ungrounded. <laughs> I was going to, I was about, I was ready to go. Whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> like, when I, when I got back from Canada, I was like, I'm going to go to Africa, like, next month. My partner was like, whoa. <laughs> so. It's all, well, it, it sounds all, like you have different. a very... It sounds like your partner is very supportive, which does help. And being honest with our partner, uh, that's a very familiar story. A lot of us had to get honest with yeah. our partners. So I'm glad to yeah. hear you mention that as well. Yep. And she's been through her own journey with addiction. So she's a little extra compassionate, probably extra understanding. Yeah. It definitely makes it a, a lot easier. So I'm glad to hear that you have that. And again, Andrew, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm so excited, like I said, to see where you end up on this journey. I know that you're going to kill it and I'm going to be cheering you on and everybody out there is going to be cheering you on. So I can't wait to hear an update again in about 90 days or so. That would be cool. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me on and following up with me to make sure we did it. And I think the timing, I wanted to wait a little bit longer till I had a little bit more sobriety time, but I do think that this probably helped me from relapsing because I knew I had to do this interview. And so that got me over, it got me through like today, like I had cravings come up today. The first four days, pretty good. And I have some supplements that work for me some of the stuff. I'm actually glad that you brought this up, Andrew, because relapse 
is part of our journey sometimes. And there, like I said, I actually, I quit so many times and I'm an administrator of the Facebook group, the Quitting Kratom group. I've been an administrator since 2017. And when I would relapse, I would disappear from the community. And for you to show up, even though you've relapsed, like that is huge. And I had to accept that that is part of my journey, like relapsing over and over again. That was just part of my journey. So it is what the fuck it is. You've got this. Yeah, it is what it is. And we can relate to all the people for whom that is what it is. Exactly. For a lot of people. (laughs) Somebody out there absolutely will relate. So thank you. yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure especially with how accessible it is. Yeah. And you mentioned that you're not going to get addicted to Iboga because that you, it's not addictive, but I'm also sitting there thinking it's not accessible either. Kratom yeah. is so accessible. It really has no like recreational value. And if you do it, you'll, you'll know what I mean. It's just not that kind of thing. I do think there is a place for microdosing it though, but that's like a whole nother conversation. And I think we'll see a lot. Right. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that, and it'll help a lot of people. So anyway, thank you again. I also grateful that I was able to do it despite not having a week or two weeks. And I also think it shows like that ten months I had that didn't just go away. That's the other thing. If you relapse and you've had a year, you're not back to zero. That's what I don't like that about other programs. Like the last thing you need is that when you relapse like the worst thing right you get like and shamed at the same time anyway i agree i'm all yeah for, it can definitely know, be disheartening relapses <laughs> uh unite them in the headlines In light of that interview, we're going to take a look at a scientific article in the literature about the use of a biogain in the treatment of substance abuse disorders, a systematic review of the current literature. This journal article appeared in the current Neuropharmacology Journal, and it was published last year in 23. Here is a summary of the abstract. A biogain is a psychedelic substance with dissociative properties naturally occurring in plants. Research has shown its efficiency in treating substance abuse disorder, or SUD, particularly in opiate detoxification, but its efficiency in toxicity is still unclear. The objective of this paper is to review and assess the anti-addictive role of abiogain and evaluate its side effects. What it did was a literature review conducted in 21, and it was a meta-analysis of all the published scientific studies. They took 31 articles. The results were organized according to the type of study. So there was case reports and case series, randomized control trials, open label, survey, and observational studies. The main outcomes were related to the anti-addictive effect of biobagain and its cardiac toxicity. A meta-analysis of side effects was conducted using software showing a significant risk of developing headaches after treatment with this plant. The conclusion was the results 
show some efficiency in the biogain in the treatment of SUD, but its cardiotoxicity and mortality are worrying. Further studies are needed to assess its therapeutic efficiency and actual safety. So we'll put a link in the show notes for this article. Biogain has some promise. It, it is one of the few substances I'm aware of treatment of plant medicine treatment that where it actually interacts with your opioid receptors in the same way as Kratom and other opioids do, which is why it makes it as attractive for a treatment for addiction. And as in the article said, there are some concerns, especially around the effects on the heart and some risk to death. And it sounds like you might be able you might get a headache after using this. So we here at the podcast always express caution with any type of treatment. Please conduct your own research, both about this as a treatment option and about any practitioner that you might select. Definitely talk to a doctor. Make sure you have a physical. Please don't be on any other kinds of medications or still being actively doing drugs so that there's no interactions with anything in your system. Make sure that where you go, they have a safety plan, maybe have a defibrillator in place, things like that. But if you're stuck in a kratom addiction, you keep relapsing and you've tried many other options, this might be a p- potential to help you get over the hump. And as, as the interview showed, likely it's not a cure-all. You have to maintain some kind of recovery program. Even once you get off of kratom and detox from it, you have to work towards your long-term sobriety. Resource of the week. If you're looking for some extra support and a tried and true method, one that works for many over almost a century now is the 12-step model. And I am pleased to announce that the Kratom Anonymous group that pioneered a meeting on Saturday nights has launched a second meeting during the week. This will be held on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time or 9.30 Eastern. It'll be on Zoom. And in the show notes, we'll have the information for signing up and getting linked to that Zooms. And it's the same credentials both on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And here's my original interview with Nick about starting up the group. And I'm going to take down the standalone episode of this about five-minute talk with him and leave it here in this episode. You might have heard this before if you listened to that at a previous time. I have Nick with me, who we interviewed. A couple. We are going to be initiating a Zoom-only Kratom Anonymous meeting. It's a 12-step meeting that is specifically tailored to people who suffer from Kratom addiction. Um, a couple of us have been looking around for some Kratom Anonymous meetings, and no one's ever really been able to find any regular meetings. So, and anybody who's interested, and not just... Not just getting off the Kratom, but waking up one day and not even thinking about it, living truly free, I think it would be worth checking out. Yeah, and that is the first, to my knowledge, of a true Kratom Anonymous 12-step-based meeting. You know, There might have been some before that we're not aware of, and, and it'll be nice to add to the other meetings that there, there are out there, which are more like introductory meetings, you know. You know, 12 steps gives a structure to recovery. I know the 12 steps aren't for everybody. So, but literature are we going to use? 
Okay, so as of now, there is no typically uh, formatted Kratom Anonymous literature. There isn't a Kratom Anonymous big book. So we are going to be using the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. That is a common practice done, at least to my knowledge, out here in Los Angeles with uh, 12-step meetings that uh, focus on specific drugs. Okay. What if you're an atheist? So is my sponsor. <laughs> Your beliefs are are not important. What's really important is what you want to do about your situation with Kratom. I know that anyone who's been to 12-step meetings before, there's a lot of God talk. In the readings and in the format, I've tried to uh, exchange the G word for higher power. But realistically, that could be anything from your sponsor to the group or to the religion of your upbringing. It really doesn't matter. All you have to do is reach outside of yourself to something bigger. It doesn't, it's it's non-denominational and it doesn't matter what you believe. All that matters is that you want to get off Kratom and recover from addiction. Okay. And one last question. Is this, is there any costs associated to the meeting? No costs. It's free to join. If the meeting starts getting bigger and we start needing to rent out spaces, it's customary among uh, 12 step groups to pass a basket around for donations to help pay with rent, but we don't have any overhead right now. If that comes up in the future, it's going to be a very uh, traditional way of dealing with it. It's so the answer is no, no cost right now. Okay. And right now it's going to be virtual through a Zoom link, and we'll put that information in the show notes with the password. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. My pleasure, man. I can't wait to uh, get this going, and I hope to see you guys there. All right. Until next time, keep it Kratom free.